Good evening again. Uh, welcome to RUF again. As I mentioned earlier, my name is Nick Bratcher. Can we get the lights on? Like a little bit more light for me? Thanks. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, my name is Nick Bratcher, and I'm the campus minister here. Uh, I'm glad that you have joined us this evening. Uh, tonight, sorry, tonight we're continuing on in our series, uh, Songs That Shape Us in Psalm 50, or sorry, in Psalm 88. Uh, that should be pulled up behind me, and it's on the back of your handout. Uh, but I'll remind you that we've called this series Songs That Shape Us, because that is what the Psalms are. Uh, they are songs that were meant to be sung by God's people. And as they sang them, God would effectively be giving his people uh, words to describe him and themselves and the world around them. Uh, but one of the most remarkable parts uh, of the Psalms is actually how they reach deeper than just concepts, but rather they uh, shape our very emotions. They give voice to how we feel in our everyday lives. Uh, Heartbreak, successes, failures, desires. In other words, the Psalms are songs for specific occasions. Words that God gives us to uh, sing when we feel certain ways and designed to help us feel those emotions and to experience them in a way that honors and glorifies our Creator. Last week we looked at uh, Psalm 59. And we answer the question, how are we to seek justice? Tonight's psalm, Psalm 88, is a song for depression. Uh, we've actually touched on an adjacent subject before this semester when we looked at uh, a song for despair in Psalm 13. And these emotions are at least under the, like, the same umbrella of sadness, uh, so to speak, the same subject matter. But unlike that psalm, which ends in the psalmist singing, with renewed confidence in God and his provision and his restoration of all things, this psalm is unique in the entire Psalter uh, in that it ends without uh, any sort of uplifting sentiment. It ends without a statement of confidence in God. Uh, in the face of many prayers, God has been silent for this psalmist. Despite crying out to God, no answer has come. Uh, and this is this means that this is not really just despair, right? This is not circumstantial sadness that could be lifted if circumstances change. This is a deep feeling that extends beyond circumstances. It's more a state of mind. Uh, now, this state can be triggered, right, by or accompany sad things that happen, uh, sad circumstances, something uh, we might call grief. That might be uh, what starts uh, depression, uh, but it doesn't have to be situational. Uh, for those who have experienced deep depression, uh, you know that uh, it can also seemingly come out of nowhere, uh, that you wake up and you just feel down, that, it's, that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Our psalmist tonight uh, also does not point to something tangible, right? There's no external source of his troubles in particular, uh, there's no enemy like there was in our psalm from last week. In, in fact, the opposite is true. In verse 3, he says his soul is full of troubles. That word full, uh, elsewhere in the Old Testament, is usually used to describe being satisfied with what is good, that you are full of God's good things. Uh, but here, the psalmist is actually filled to the brim with turmoil. Whether it started that way or not, this issue, this deep 
sense of grief has become internalized, kind of independent of circumstances. It's also why the psalmist will say that uh, it's been from his youth that he's been afflicted, right? Uh, it's before he's done anything uh, really to warrant uh, such deep depression. Whether one comes to this place of depression by circumstances or as might be the case for some of you tonight, uh, maybe even like a brain chemical imbalance that is very real um, that might trigger and make you feel deep senses of depression. Regardless of where, how we come to this place, God has given us this psalm. This psalm in the Psalter uh, to pray in the darkness of depression. Uh, this psalm is meant to guide us to the realities of this emotion and how to experience it. Um, or if you're here tonight and you have never experienced depression and you may never experience depression, uh, I would say that this psalm also helps you to know how to be a good friend to someone who does, uh, guiding them to the truth. So those are actually going to be our two points uh, we gleaned from the text tonight. What feels true in depression? So we're not asking a question. We're going to, I'm just going to look at two points. Uh, what feels true in depression and then what is true in depression? That's what, that's what we're going to look at tonight. What feels true in depression and what is true in depression? All right, let's read Psalm 88. Uh, I'm actually going to read the heading, uh, which actually tells us the title and uh, who wrote the psalm. Um, I'm going to read that tonight. Let's read Psalm 88, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to Mehalath Le'anoth, uh, a maskal of Heman the, the Ezraite. Uh, for the record, um, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, that tells us who wrote it and uh, what it is. It's a psalm. And it's to the choir master, according to Mehalath Le'anoth, that's probably uh, some sort of tune setting. Um, but we don't really know what it means because we don't even have some of the same instruments anymore. Um, and a mascal is probably a type of song. Um, but again, we don't really know what kind. Um, but we do know a few things about it in that sense. Okay, I'm going to keep reading. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? 
Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Let's pray. Dear God, um, as hard as this psalm may be uh, for some of us to think about uh, and to hear, I pray that it would be good news in the end. Um, Lord, I do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, all right, so our main points, our first main point tonight, what's, uh, what feels true in depression, right? Uh, some some observations from this psalm to start off with. Uh, One of the first things that we should note about this psalm, and this is kind of a general note, is the fact that um, this psalm uh, doesn't end with a a hope at the end, uh, that there is confidence at the end. I, I mentioned this earlier, but one of the things that that means is that God does not simply want us to like pull ourselves up by our bootstraps so uh, doesn't want us to just like muscle up and like feel better because he's he promised me that he's at work and so I should just feel better and I just need to not be depressed anymore. Um, that uh, when I say uh, what feels true, like our first point, what feels true, what I'm not saying is as I unpack the psalm, what I'm not saying is that uh, that those feelings are false or ignorable or that you should just move on. Uh, In fact, uh, that's partly why we aren't simply just like having a question and then me like telling you like the gospel uh, is that um, part of what I want to do is highlight the way it feels to be in the midst of depression um, and that God can be at work despite those feelings, right? It's not to say that those feelings are false. It's to say that sometimes even our own feelings don't tell us the full story. Uh, one of the main purposes of this psalm is to validate the real depth of pain and sadness that we feel when depression overtakes us, um, while reminding us simultaneously what is true in the middle of that depression. So the psalmist gives us three descriptions of what feels true in depression. Of course, this isn't a psychology textbook, right? Um, and it's not exhaustive by any means. In fact, I'm not even going to exhaust what this psalm says about it. But the point is that God is no stranger to these feelings. Um, so our first point, uh, our, the first thing that feels true in depression is that there's a great loneliness in depression. Uh, look at verses 8 and 18. Uh, there's a very real sense uh, that loneliness accompanies depression, that uh, this psalmist, his friends, and even his beloved, right, assumedly his spouse, uh, have started to shun him. They do not even acknowledge him. Uh, Some commentators have noted that this is actually so drastic that probably uh, this psalm was written uh, by someone who had contracted leprosy, a contagious disease that would actually cause skin and whole parts of your body to literally waste away. They would actually fall off of your body, um, noses and fingers, until you just died. Um, a very, very scary disease. Um, it's actually gotten so, uh, his, his horrific appearance and quarantine existence have gotten so bad 
that by the end of the psalm, right, in verse 18, he just says this, that he has retained one friend, darkness. Uh, that that is his only friend. Uh, borrowed a little bit. Um, you might guys probably have heard the song by Simon and Garfunkel. Hello, darkness, my old friend. They, uh, that's, the, that's literally ripped from this, this psalm. Uh, that this is his only friend left around. Um, what's worse, uh, like we saw earlier this semester in Psalm 13, is that the psalmist experiences this isolation as from the hand of God. Uh, because it is God who is powerful enough to stop his torment, and it is also God who is silent and unresponsive, he feels acutely that his troubles are actually caused by God. Uh, because God is sovereign over all things, he is both the means of his salvation, in verse 1, right? He calls God the God of his salvation, uh, and he is also the cause of his troubles, that God could deliver him, and yet he doesn't. This is why the psalmist cries out again and again to God. In verses 1, 9, and 13, if you add them all up together, he never stops crying out. Right? It happens in the morning, it happens in the evening, it happens all day long, it happens at night. Uh, literally all the time he is crying out to God because God is the source of his salvation, but it hasn't come. It's appropriate, uh, in fact, even encouraged in the penning of these words, that we see God as the great cause behind all things, even our pain. That he, on some level, though he's not the author of sin, right, is in charge of it. That, he, that it cannot progress or have any hold in our lives except for by his allowing it. And that means that he's the appropriate person to say help <laughs> to and we'll, we'll get to the, the good news of that reality in a moment. But for now, as God is silent with this psalmist, there is a great pain in looking to the one who is able to save, but turns away instead, as in verse 14. This silence from God is actually so profound that it has given the psalmist this sense uh, that God himself has withdrawn from him. And that's our second thing that, we, that often feels true in depression uh, that we experience, we feel a mixture of guilt and poor circumstances. Uh, look with me at verses 7 and 16. Right, The psalmist mentions that God's wrath has come down upon him. God's wrath uh, in the Bible is the penalty for sin. As we discovered last week, this kind of judgment doesn't necessarily wait until death to occur, right? Or the final judgment at the resurrection. God can and does bring swift justice in this life and asks us to pray for it sometimes. Uh, the thing is, this psalmist is, uh, the, the, the hard part is, though, that this psalmist is confused about why this justice is coming to him, right? Uh, that um, as in Romans 1, when God gives people over to their sin, God withdrawing from him and turning away from him, is God, he feels God's judgment if God is not gazing at him, if God's not taking care of him, if God's not pursuing him, then this is a sense of judgment that God has left him. Uh, in verse 15, he tells us that it's been like this from his youth up, and he is clearly one who trusts in God and wants to turn to him. So there's, there's a sense in which he wants to repent, but he doesn't know what to repent of. There's a real sense of guilt uh, that he has done something wrong to deserve what is happening to him. He can't escape the feeling that God is judging him. That uh, 
he is clearly uh, one who's being numbered among the guilty, among the unrighteous. So a few of you uh, know this about me, um, but uh, one of the reasons I wanted to preach this psalm, even though it's uh, kind of uh, very depressing, uh, is that uh, it's, it actually became and is still one of my favorite and go-to psalms uh, from a pretty early age. Um, I lost uh, my dad to cancer when I was 12 years old. Um, he was diagnosed when I was nine, um, fought it, uh, had a round where he was supposed to be cleared from it, came back when I was around uh, 10. And he lost that battle with cancer. And I remember thinking often during that time that maybe I had done something wrong, that maybe I didn't pray right or have enough faith. And, and maybe that's why my dad wasn't getting better. Maybe it's because I wasn't doing the right things. Maybe God wasn't hearing my prayers because I yelled at my sister or uh, maybe I watched a movie I wasn't supposed to and now God is, is punishing me for this. Um, this feeling that God is judging you for something uh, is a theme that surfaces over and over again in the Psalms. And God wants to acknowledge that sometimes that is the way that God works is that he judges us in this life for sin that we have. But in this psalm, we can see that that's not, that's not the case here. Um, uh, and, and we'll get to that in a moment, but uh, for the time being, it can feel true, right? One of the things that God's acknowledging is that when you're in this place, you kind of feel like you deserve it. That you start to believe that, uh, that I'm here because I should be here because I've done something wrong. Um, there's a uh, parable, uh, John uh, 5, I think it is. I think it's John 5. Uh, the parable of the paralytic at the pool, at the pool of Bethesda. Um, this man, Jesus comes up to him and he says, um, you know, uh, why haven't you been healed? What's going on? Because he's been there 32 uh, years. And the guy says, nobody's been there to put me in. And Jesus asks him a very sobering question. Do you want to be healed? Right, which you would think would just be an obvious answer of yes, um, but really he's tapping into something very, very true about all of us, that when we're in this state where we feel so helpless and depressed and tired, sometimes we think we deserve to stay there. Um, as Jesus points out in Matthew 5, 45, it can be very hard for us to uh, kind of determine, wait, am I being judged for something I did wrong? Am I wrong? I, do I deserve this? Uh, and, um, and the reality that sometimes bad things happen to good people, uh, not good people, happen to people who don't deserve it. Uh, Matthew five forty five. he says this, uh, this is Jesus, makes, uh, God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Um, uh, Jesus will say something similar in John 9. There's a man who's born blind and uh, the Pharisees and people come up to Jesus and say, what did this man done? What did this man do? Did his parents sin or did he sin? Is that why he's blind? And Jesus says, no, sometimes just bad things happen. We live in a broken, fallen world. But there's, there's a very uh, deep sense when we're in this place that maybe God has turned away. And if he has turned away, then it's because of something I've done. For God to withdraw his care from me and remove himself from relationship with me, it's the curse that I ought to endure for the, for the sin that I've committed, right? 
Um, it's actually uh, what God says he will do to Adam and Eve after the rebellion in the garden. Um, he uh, says he offers um, that the woman will now conceive and give birth in pain, and the man's toil uh, will uh, yield fruit that has thorns and thistles growing up in it. Uh, that there is genuine justice for wrongdoing, and so we think, maybe this is what God is telling me, that I've done something wrong. Uh, so it, it makes sense, uh, if we think that that is what God's hap- what's happening to us, uh, that we have done something wrong and that God is judging us, it makes sense that the third marker of depression is that it feels like death, right? That it feels like death. That's our third uh, marker of depression, our third thing that feels true in depression. Uh, look with me at verses 4 through 6. Uh, here the psalmist uh, tells us that um, he is counted among those who go down to the pit. Um, he also says that he is set loose among the dead. He uh, lies in the grave. Um, and he comes back to that in verse 6 that he goes in the depths of the pit. Elsewhere in the Psalms, uh, this is a uh, common metaphor for people who are unrighteous. Uh, that they actually uh, go, go down into death and God is separated from them forever. Um, yeah, that, and, and so this third way that God uh, tells us uh, that we sometimes feel is that um, there's a sense in which we cry out like we want to die. Job says this uh, in, in Job chapter 3, um, after he has lost his wife and family, and, um, sorry, not his wife, his sons and daughters, and all of his worldly possessions, and then he breaks out and boils. He actually curses the day he was born and thinks to himself, it would be better uh, for me not to have been born. Uh, I could name a few more noteworthy things which accompany depression. Um, you know, there's a helplessness, like outstretched hands that's mentioned in verse 9, and a feeling of inevitability uh, with suffering that's showcased in verse 15. Um, but... To boil it all down, depression has a very real sense of being overwhelming. If you've got nothing else from this first part of the talk, I want you to see this, that there is a very real sense that uh, depression, that this, um, this feeling of sadness can be overwhelming. Uh, in fact, uh, the wrath and assaults mentioned earlier uh, come to a head in verse 17. They actually surround the psalmist like a flood all day long, they close in on him. Uh, the picture that he gives here is that uh, there are two waves coming in and actually collapsing on him at the same time. I don't know if you've ever been at the beach and had a wave like, like topple down on, on you and get like sucked under the water. Um, but imagine that times two <laughs> at once. And he says uh, that essentially he's being blitzed from both sides. He's guilty and sin and weighed down with the burdens of his life from an earliest age. And this psalmist gives us uh, this image of these two distinct waves crashing down upon him. And surely this is appropriate language for people who have uh, lived a life marked by such difficulty. Um, there's an adage that God will never give you more than you can handle. Um, but uh, this would suggest the exact opposite, that God is intentionally giving him far more than he can handle in and of himself. And the question is, uh, you know, as we turn our focus to uh, what's true, what, uh, 
our own sense of God um, is our own sense of, of this, right? So God is uh, validating and in some way shaping and telling us, this is how it feels to be in this pit. I know it's hard to distinguish between uh, whether or not I'm judging you for sin or whether or not you are wrong or if everything is uh, coming down around you that you don't have anybody you can turn to. No one understands, uh, not even your beloved, right? Uh, is the final word on depression those feelings? Is, the, is, is what, what is true in the midst of depression, is it only that, that we feel those ways? Um, and the movie adaptation of uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, uh, The Two Towers, there's this scene where a few of the main characters have actually pushed themselves into the keep of uh, Helm's Deep. I think it's Helm's Deep, right? Yeah. Uh, they're like bunched up. There's like a hundred of them left. They had like thousands of warriors and the Orakai, the bad guys, are outside and there's thousands of them and they're all like beating on the door. And all that's left is this wooden like essentially this wooden door that is keeping out thousands of marauders coming in and just vanquishing the last remnant of the army uh, there at Helm's Deep. And um, it's, it's looking bad. The good guys are not going to win. It looks horrible for them. But then the sun starts to rise in a window up at the top, uh, and Aragorn, the like, rightful uh, ma- like human king of the Middle-earth, uh, suddenly remembers uh, what Gandalf, the great wizard, had told him right before this battle had begun. At first light, on the fifth day, at dawn, look to the east. Uh, Despite overwhelming odds, Aragorn asks the hundred or so guys that are there, uh, their survivors of this battle, to ride out with him. You know, he says, "Let's, let's not wait to get uh, vanquished in here. Let's ride out and face our enemies head on. Uh, this impossibly large enemy of thousands. Uh, this is despite all the optics telling him otherwise, right? Everything about this situation, everything he feels, everything everyone feels around him uh, is despair and loneliness and just uh, impending doom. And yet, they don't stay there. Uh, if you've watched the movie, they throw open the gates and they charge out uh, to meet this thousand, you know, some odd thousands of uh, these horrific-looking creatures, and they're battling them, but you can see that they're completely surrounded uh, by these orakai. They're not going to make it. And then, out of nowhere, in this you know, surging musical moment, uh, Gandalf rides up over the hill in the east where the sun is coming up, and he leads uh, this band, this army from Gondor, in to help and to aid the people at Helm's Deep. Um, despite... Uh, Sorry, so uh, Aragorn in this moment, his hope was not rested on his present circumstances, right? Uh, His own power of victory, but instead um, he knew that despite his own feelings, uh, there was one who was more powerful than he was, who could come to his aid. Uh, He simply had to hold out and have faith that, that, uh, that Gandalf would come to his rescue. The question we have tonight Uh, with our remaining time, is if we knew that God was at work, could we hold out in the midst of depression? Right? If we knew that God was at work, could we, like Aragorn and the, you know, the other guys that are in that, uh, that keep, 
Uh, could, we, could we hold out? Could we ride out, uh, you know, even in the face of certain victory? Uh, can we be those friends who will sit with people in the midst of their depression, pointing them to the east at dawn on the fifth day? Well, this psalm is going to submit to us that, uh, that God is worth that kind of confidence, that God will show up on the fifth day. Uh, that's our second point that we're thinking about tonight, what is true in depression. Uh, there are four ways. I'm going to go through them really quick. There are four ways that God is at work in depression. Uh, though they are but little clues and hints here, God's redemption actually shines through even in this psalm. Even in this psalm, God's redemption is shining through. Uh, first off, um, the reason we read who the author was of this psalm tonight is that God is at work through our friends. That's our, our first point. There are four ways. This is the first way. God is at work through our friends. Uh, the sons of Korah are said to have been the people who uh, actually wrote this psalm. You'll notice that it's in first person, and yet uh, a boy band of sorts is actually the, yeah, this is like uh, One Direction, but um, with, uh, you know, more harp. Uh, the sons of Korah, right, um, they were actually assembled by David in First Chronicles 6 to actually make songs, to write the Psalter. And the reality is, as much as this person, as much as this psalmist, the original guy who wrote the first words, you know, the first person version of this, uh, maybe it was Heman, uh, as much as he feels like he is alone, he is not, right? Uh, God is at work through his friends. Um, there's an illustrated video of uh, Brene Brown talk that talks something about this. Uh, it's a talk about empathy and um, Really, there's uh, this person, uh, this like, I think it's a rhino, I forget. You guys will probably, some of you will know this video better than I will. But there's a rhino that's like, that actually ends up climbing down and like falling into a pit. And it's, and it's pitch black in this pit. And uh, like a moose comes over and like sticks it, its head in the, the pit and is like, looks dark down there. That must be really sad. And when we're in depression, we feel like that's what people are doing, right? That they are just kind of looking in on us and saying, like, must be really hard to be sad like that. And then they just move on. Uh, this is the experience that the psalmist has. But the reality is that empathy can change uh, those kinds of things, uh, can change, um, can bring hope uh, and heal wounds of depression. Instead of saying just... Um, Hey, I hey, like it looks dark down there. Uh, there's another animal. I think it's a moose. I don't remember. Um, uh, climbs down and actually gets down and sits with uh, the rhino that fell in and says, uh, the elephant that fell in, whatever it was. It's a bear. The bear climbs down. I got it. Bear climbs down and, and the bear says, uh, I'm here with you. I understand what you're going through and I won't leave you. Uh, while we may feel like we've been abandoned, um, the reality is that God has given us our own version of the sons of Korah, right? That he's given us the church. Um, and by extension, RUF here on this campus, that if when you feel uh, depressed, when you feel like you are alone, um, the truth is that you are not, that God is at work through your friends. Um, if you've ever been to Christ Church in Milwaukee, uh, this is actually why we confess things together, why we confess things like the Nicene Creed and other parts of Scripture it's not because we want to be weird or chant in unison. It's because God invites us with psalms like this to share each other's burdens, right? To uh, remind each other of the truth even while we are struggling to believe it. 
Um, we don't do this always in RUF because I want to make room for people to be here who don't uh, believe or who don't want to confess these things. But the church is supposed to be a place where this happens, where the people of God surround one another and are able to confess what is true even on behalf of one another. Uh, when our neighbor is struggling to believe, you know, either out of pride or out of uh, this deep sense of sadness that God is not at work, um, we can tell them that God has not abandoned them, right? That we, they can say it and we can say it for them, uh, reminding them uh, together as we chant, you know, in unison uh, with one voice, the truth of what God has promised. We are our brothers and sisters keeper, and this is the way that God has chosen to work in the midst of depression often, is that he gives us people, he gives us the church. Uh, and we should look, this is a small plug, you should look for churches that do that, um, whether in personal relationships or in their worship service, uh, part of what a church ought to be doing is that uh, they should be calling each other to believe the truth. Um, the second thing uh, that uh, is true about God being at work is that he's true. He is at work in listening um, and sustaining. Uh, listening and sustaining. Uh, first off, by the fact that this psalm is in the Psalter, uh, the fact that God has actually heard this prayer, that uh, has heard this prayer and put it in his inspired word so that we could pray it. That while he feels like God has turned his face away, it's he can't see that God can actually be at work even in the midst of that, that God is listening, that he is, as the psalmist claims, the God of his salvation, right? Look at verse, verses 1, uh, 9, and 13. He continues to cry out to God um, that he is the God of salvation, um, continues to call upon him day and night, every day and every morning. Um, God... Uh, continues to hear these prayers, that he, the psalmist, even as this thing is eating him alive, even as he feels like there is no hope, he continues to go to the Lord with that lack of hope. Um, and God listens. Um, he also sustains, that's our third point that he sustains, verses 1, 9, and 3, or 1, 9, and 13 also tell us that, that God continues to give him new days, Right? Uh, that God continues to work through him. Uh, I mentioned Job 3 earlier, that uh, in the midst of Job's depression, he actually calls out, uh, let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived, let that day be darkness. Um, Job feels the same thing that the psalmist is feeling, but uh, how Job ends is that all things are restored to him. Uh, that um, he... Uh, has twice as many children as he had before, twice as much wealth as he had before, um, that God can, um, that even though uh, it feels like living is not worth it, that it might actually be God's grace to you that you keep going. Um, sometimes we overlook these small things, right? In the midst of depression, it's really, really tempting to just look at all the ways that things have gone wrong. But this is not the way of this psalmist, not the way God invites us to talk to him about these things. Instead, uh, we are to see every morning, every evening, as actually God delivering us a new day. That God isn't letting him go down to the pit, right? He feels like he's going down to the pit, but he isn't. God has continued to sustain him every single day. 
Um, maybe what you need in the midst of depression um, is to see that God is providing in the little things, uh, that he has not abandoned you. Last thing, uh, the fourth thing, the way that God is at work, he is at work in the very way you believe he cannot be at work. Uh, look at verses 10 through 12. Um, there's a series of rhetorical questions here, uh, and the, what the psalmist wants us to answer them in is in the negative. And in one sense, that would be right. Uh, if the psalmist dies, right, he will lose the opportunity to tell everyone about God's victory, about God's provision for him. Um, but in, a, in another sense, he couldn't be more wrong, right? He asks, does God work wonders for the dead? Um, do the departed rise up to praise you? And the answer is, in Christ, of course they do. Um, that God does indeed work wonders for the dead, that we will one day actually rise up uh, and meet Jesus in the sky. Um, having been once dead, uh, God will work the wonder of revivifying all of us, resurrecting all of us uh, in a great uh, work of salvation. Uh, and that's accomplished through Jesus. Um, he makes known in the darkness even the goodness of his love for us. Um, it is funny that this psalmist, as he has a kind of a tongue-in-cheek experience here, as he's saying, like, God could never do this, God is actually doing what he thinks he never could. Um, he just can't see it yet. In light of all these things, uh, we can hold on, right? Um, the question that I ask of you is, uh, right, the question we're thinking about is, can you ride out, right? Even in, even in depression, can you be a friend who encourages your friend to ride out uh, to hope and trust in God? Um, and in fact, we know that uh, God must be at work in this way, that God is going to come just as Gandalf did over that mountain. Um, we know because even as you and I sing or pray this psalm, right? When we sing or pray this psalm, uh, we do not pray them as one with whom God has actually abandoned, or as one whom God has actually abandoned. Uh, that prayer was reserved for Jesus, right? Hebrews 5, 7 states that Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. As Jesus neared the hour of his crucifixion, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's not a stretch to think that this psalm would have been on his lips, that this is actually... Uh, appropriate for Jesus to uh, say here. Uh, what better picture is there of outstretched hands in verse 9 than Jesus' own prayer recorded in Luke 22? Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Though the promise of res resurrection stood in his future, Jesus would go down to the pit. Truly alone and abandoned by everyone close to him, on trial in his beatings and his march to Golgotha where he would be executed, he became one who was already dead. Verse 7 is truly fulfilled in Jesus. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. Talking about God, um, we do not have to experience that wrath because Jesus took it on himself. When we place our faith in Jesus, his righteousness is imputed to us and we inherit the truth of depression despite our feelings as much as we're entitled to them that God has not abandon us. Darkness is truly not your only companion because Jesus, the friend of sinners, is at your side. Let's pray.